I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Karen Boykin-Towns, the Vice Chairman of the NAACP National Board of Directors. Karen and I discuss the goals that the NAACP has outlined for the Biden-Harris administration in relation to racial equity, particularly around police accountability and reform. We also briefly discuss the lawsuit accusing Trump and Rudy Giuliani of inciting the U.S. Capitol riot, a lawsuit that was filed by the NAACP and several members of Congress. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Karen Boykin-Towns. Karen Boykin-Towns, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be with you. You know, I'm so excited to talk to you, but you know, I wish we were having this conversation under different circumstances, you know, but you know, this is America and America is going to do what America does. And, you know, I really would love to have a conversation with you about black joy, right? Um, Yeah. But, you know, we are in the midst of, you know, the Derek Chauvin trial, which I think has been really traumatic for everyone, you know, watching that if you've been catching it. And then you had, you know, the black army officer who was pulled over and pepper sprayed and just yeah. now, just, you know, a couple of days ago, Dante Wright, 20-year-old young man, you know, father, was killed by the police, you know, just miles from, you know, the, the incident with George Floyd, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I know that the NAACP has outlined some recommendations in this regard for the Biden administration. Have these recent events changed that, changed the scope, changed the urgency? How are you looking at that? Wow. Well, 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 Jen, I would just say that, you know, I too wish we were able to talk about something else, but it seems as though for the last, you know, intensely for the last year, there's not much else to talk about. And even before then, right? Um, because we continue to be plagued by what seems to be an ever increasing attack on Black bodies. And uh, yes, Um, Before the administration took place, uh, we, the NAACP and other organizations had uh, meetings and conversations with the president, the vice president and members of the administration. Um, But where we find ourselves now is, um, you know, we're in a state of emergency. And I mean, you don't want to sound like you're being, you know, you know, an alarmist or anything, but hell, I think we've been in a state of emergency. And um, in light of what just happened with the young man, Dante Wright, and the protests that we've seen the last couple of nights, it really, for me, means that we have to be even more intentional about the policy changes that must happen. Yes, the killings have to stop. The killings have to stop. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, it's about the policies, right? Because people have to be held accountable. Officers have to be held accountable. And the accountability factor has been something that has been missing forever, forever. We will see um, what happens with the Derek Chauvin uh, case. But at the end of the day, we must, we must, we must get legislation. We must, we must get judges, federal judges and state judges that um, aren't always just prosecutors, but that are civil rights lawyers and other diverse backgrounds. Um, But I know that for, for many, it's just like, you know, talking to the wind in some cases, because it doesn't seem like 
it meets the moment. No, you're absolutely right. And it's interesting that you, you said that because the other night, you know, I was up late, like I often am, and I was reading the news and I saw the headlines come in very early on with um, with um, Dante Wright. And yeah. I was, just, and I, you know, watching the, the Chauvin trial, you know, all day and then at night seeing these headlines come in about Dante Wright, I was just kind of at a loss for words. Yeah. And I posted on social media, the only thing I could think of to say, which was, this is a national emergency. That's yes. the only thing I could think of to say. And that yeah. post really resonated with people because I think people said, you know, yes, this is an emergency. And one of the saddest things I saw was some parents posting like, you know, my child is afraid. Someone posted they had like a 13 or 14 year old child who was afraid to take out the garbage. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is um, where we are. And, you know, I think I th you're, you're absolutely right about accountability because that's a big piece of it. And I want to talk about the George Floyd Policing Act because built into that is a lot of, of line items for accountability. But when I think about accountability, for me, that's after the fact. You know, yeah. for instance, there's one thing about, you know, data collection about, you know, police violence. That's one point. And another one is, you know, ending qualified immunity. But yes. when you get to that point, people have already died. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I want, um, because I was shocked at this number, Jen, but um, believe it or not, you know, the summer, it's not like the summer was, you know, a long, long time ago, but since the killing of George Floyd, there have been 100 unarmed people killed or brutalized uh, by the police around the country. Now, we don't know all 100 of their names, right? Because it's those that sort of pierce our, our uh, culture that really gets caught on by the news, but there's been a 100, right? And so in my mind, this trial that is going on is a reminder of the urgent need to pass legislation to hold police accountable, change the culture of law enforcement, and, 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 and try and build trust between law enforcement and our communities by preventing police brutality and allowing survivors and their families to access justice. Now, yes, um, the act would have happened, right? People would have get, been killed if you're talking about data collection and that sort of thing. But what I would hope is one of two things. One, we know that these officers move from place to place, right? So maybe the first occasion they haven't killed someone, but they have, you know, engaged in, um, you know, excessive force that has been recorded several times. And then they leave one police force and they go up the road and they get hired. Well, having a database that would allow there to be transparency so that they can't be hired. Maybe that's one of the things that can keep this person from being being in with the badge in our communities and you know be involved in one of these tragic incidents, right? Ending qualified immunity where you know they can be tried, where you know if you are engaged in these sorts of practices not only will you go to jail, but your pension, you know, those sorts of things for which now is not the case. And if we're honest about it, if you're a police officer and you get, if you, if this happens to you, you don't even see a lot of the, a lot of your peers who have gone to jail, right? So in my mind, being accountable means that, you know, you will suffer a huge cost that right now, you know, they are not seeing happening. And we have to talk about what are we asking police to do? We need to reimagine these police operations and really kind of determine, do we need them, you know, 
doing, you know, doing, you know, domestic violence work? Do we need them? You know, do you need a gun doing, you know, traffic stops? You know, how do we look at these budgets and determine whether or not the things that they're being asked to do is what we really need them to do versus having others that may be more qualified um, in these roles? No, you're absolutely right. And you're reading my mind because I've been thinking about that a lot and um, about, you know, how we are using the police. And I think that we need to have, you know, a long, intelligent, good faith debate about how they're being employed, right? Or used, right? Because, you know, there's this whole conversation around, you know, abolish the police, right? And I think for me, I think that's a bit reductive personally, right? Um, Because that isn't necessarily what we're talking about. And I don't want to have a a position on that until we have, you know, all of the data and all of the studies and all of the conversations around, like, how do we use the police, you know? Yes. But one of the things I will say is that I was looking at the data from other countries who yes. have very few, you know, deaths at the hands of the police, you know, very, you know, and they all have police forces. They didn't have to abolish their police. They just use them in better ways. Right. Yes. And I, you know, wonder if we can learn from that. So you, you don't need to necessarily get rid of them. We just need to be smarter and we need a completely different paradigm shift. That's just my opinion. Jenna, I agree. And, you know, there are people unlike you and I, whose whose life's work is in this space and they have done research they've they've visited countries that you know have been able to do this well and i just don't believe that we've allowed them to have the space and or the platform to talk about what the what it could look like right because we're so steeped into what we've done what we know but if there's anything that has come to pass um, from the reckoning of 2020 is that everything needs to be on the table. Um, there, there are no sacred cows and the police force, how we do policing um, is one that we have to have a national conversation about um, how uh, to have it work in the best interest of communities of color because by all measures, it is not working. I don't know about you, but I know that if I have a situation, I want to be able to pick up the phone and call the police because they are supposed to protect and serve. But in the environment that we're in, you know, I would be very hesitant because you don't know what could jump off by a call for help. And that is, I think, is the crying shame of this whole thing because, you know, we as black and brown people, you know, you're, you're, you're afraid because you just, you just don't know what the outcome can be. And I'm sure no one expects to become a hashtag, right? You just don't expect, you don't wake up one day believing that this could be the day when you, you know, have one of these incidents. But the fact of the matter is it very well could happen. Yeah, it very well could happen. And that's that's the conundrum of, you know, living in the lives that we live, you know, in these black and brown bodies. And you and I were talking about a bit a bit about living in Seattle, where I live offline, about how it's not a very black city, right? You know, the demographics, there aren't many black people here. And, you know, I agree with you, you know, my house has been broken into, and I needed to call the police, right? And that was very helpful to me, you know, but it could have very well gone the other way, because there aren't, you know, it doesn't matter whether there are lots of black people here, but I could very well see, you know, a police coming out and not realizing that this is my house. <laughs> right. Or, or, or questioning you about it, right? Like, instead of getting to the purpose of what you've called them for, questioning you, 
Like you have no right to be there. We've seen that happen around the country. I mean, but ultimately, ultimately, this is not a time for us to give into fear or despair or, um, you know, just woe is me, we can't make change. We know that when we, we have a saying in the NAACP, when we fight, we win. And we are best positioned than ever before to continue to make change. And, you know, you, you have to be a bit of an optimist to kind of continue to do this work because ultimately it's, it's, it's for our humanity. And we have to find ways to use our voice collectively as well as individually to push. And it's not just at the national level. It is, you know, community by community um, because ultimately elections have consequences. And if we are involved in the sheriff's race, right, and voting for who the next sheriff is going to be or the district attorney or the mayor or the attorney general, all of these positions they, they matter, our city councils. And um, it's just important that we just not let up off the gas, quite frankly, because um, our lives depend on it. Yeah, speaking speaking of elections, I know that the NAACP has a lawsuit, a civil suit, I believe, along with 10 members of Congress accusing the former president and Rudy Giuliani of conspiring to incite the, the January 6th um, insurrection or the riot. Is that is that right? Do I have yeah. that, all those yeah. details right? And yeah. I know you can't talk about, you know, pending legal matters, right? But it, it, I just want to clarify, it is a civil suit, first of all. And what does something like this, what would that accomplish, do you think? Thinking back over the last four years, um, you know, too many people remain silent, right? Um not definitely not Auntie Max and many others, but, you know, people who, who were in positions that could have, you know, tried to, to, to do a better job at checking the former president. But at the end of the day, I think what we saw on January 6th was something that we could not have written um, or imagined. And I can just remember, you know, being home, because that's pretty much where we are, right? Um, and watching this and thinking, this is happening in America. Oh my goodness. And I think that this lawsuit is one where it's just like, you know, he has to be held accountable. And, you know, that's part of what the courts are for. Um, and, you know, we will see what the outcome is. But, you know, just like those 147 Republicans who uh, voted against certifying the elections, you know, they need to be held accountable and in certain ways they are. But ultimately, we've turned the page. We have a new administration. Um, I think it's what, like day 82, 83. Um, definitely we see a difference. But at the end of the day, we also know that you know, and they know that we must also keep them accountable, right? We have to sort of ensure that racial equity across this government is kept front and center. Um, but we just all must remain engaged um, at every level that we possibly can, individually and collectively, because um, when we when we're united, we definitely have power, and um, people are listening. People are listening. Uh, and more importantly, I think 
um, we are pushing people to also take action. Yeah. You know, one thing about this country is that it never fails to, you know, lose its ability to shock us. Yeah, you know, and, you know, like you, when I was watching on January 6th, you know, I thought, you know, there's no way that he he can get away with this. There's no way that people are going to walk away from this. But here we are. We 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 have, you know, the impeachment trial. Senate did not vote for that. And so now I think I've kind of you've answered my question. I'm kind of answering my own question. It is necessary to, you know, continue to try to hold him accountable yes. and them accountable, the people who are behind that, because what does it say if we don't, if we don't even, you know, even pursue it, you right. know, it's, you know, it, it kind of normalized that kind of behavior and we can't do that. We cannot afford to normalize what happened on January 6th. We normalize so many other things that whoever thought would become normalized, but the attack on our democracy an attack on our democracy, that which is the holy grail of what this country is supposed to be about. I mean, it, it's it's just unbelievable. If, if we aren't going to hold that sacrosanct, then what is, right? And so I believe it's all connected. It's all connected. And um, it's, just, it's just critical that... Um, you know, we we remain focused. We not um, get overwhelmed, and when we feel ourselves getting overwhelmed, that we do uh, self care or we do those things that will sort of kind of help us. Like for me, um, I've had to um, reduce my level of news intake, and, and this is like from the TV. So I'm I'm you know reading constantly. But I, I limit, you know, the times of the day when I am actually tuned into the news because it is a lot. It, it, and I don't really believe that it's good for your mental health to have it on all day. And that's kind of how I was living for quite some time. And I, I, I think it, it begins to take its toll. And, and, and it's just important that we, you know, keep ourselves um, focused on what needs to be get done and not be distracted because sometimes it just seems like, you know, where, where is the progress? But, you know, all you have to do is, is, is look, right. The elections show just wins that are, you know, really going to make a difference. Um, but for which many didn't think, and if we would not have kind of pushed ourselves and come together, we would not have a majority in the Senate. We would not have, you know, the election results that we did. Uh, that we were able to achieve. But, um, you know, it's not easy, though. Yeah, I actually had to to do the same. And I just want to, you know, everyone who's listening, just to take that advice and to take care of yourself. I had to, you know, turn off social media for, you know, a long weekend. I think it was last weekend, you know, after the the, the first week of the Chauvin trial. Um, it's a lot, you know, and we you, we feel that. And you, you, you wouldn't be human if that did not get to you, right? And you can't fight and you can't have these big fights like the ones that we're facing right now if you don't have energy and if you aren't taking care of yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, I just I just want to add that, you know, um, we stand on the shoulders of people who sacrifice so, so much to get us where we are and to think that we are having to fight, you know, the issues that they many times died for. 
um, just, you know, is, is mind boggling, right? That here it is, we're in 2021 and we're having to deal with, you know, the right to vote, you know, still. Um, but as we, as we fight forward, as we push forward, it must be with, with strategic thinking and planning and organizing and policymaking and accountability just to ensure that we are a priority everywhere. And it's all of those things together. And it's all of us working together and finding, you know, ways to do it. And I am really encouraged by just how within the um, civil rights, social justice space, um, how, you know, there is more sharing and more um, uh, collaboration um, because, you know, uh, uh, as President Johnson likes to say, civil rights is not a competition, right? We're all trying to achieve the same goals, right? Um, there might be different tactics, but at the end of the day, we are, we, we are looking to achieve the same thing. And it's really about how do we use our limited resources in which to kind of do that and not you know, where we can replicate, duplicate, and those sorts of things. And so um, it's, it's, it's an amazing time to um, be alive. And it's uh, incredible to, you know, see, you know, the people who are standing up and really in the forefront. And it's all types. And it's just so beautiful to see because we need it all. Frankly, we need it all. Well, Karen Boykin Towns, thank you so much for joining me. I enjoyed having this conversation. And of course, I would love to have you back so we can, you know, hopefully talk about, you know, some of the, the wins, you know, over 2021 and a bit of joy. So thank you so much for everything you've done. And thank you for this conversation. Jen, thank you so much for having me and all the best to you. Stay safe. You too. 